Todd for breakfast. Tastes of the Midwest. <laughs> Would have made far fewer mistakes. But anyway, yeah, it's quite weird. But people in SBS must have known. Yeah. But I didn't know. No. Well, I, uh, on a fun fact, so when they were going to do River Cottage Australia, I sent a video off for that because oh. I had the perfect property yeah. and everything and I was so disappointed when I didn't get oh, it. Of no. course, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and, and Paul West or yeah, yeah, where yeah. it was. So, of course, quite appropriate. But I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. But, you know, they, yeah, he wasn't allowed to live on that property. Yeah, I know. That's, That's so crazy. weird. So yeah. weird. So, oh, it wasn't, yeah. You could tell that it wasn't... You got that sense of it, didn't Like you? it wasn't his place mm. sort of thing. I don't know if you ever saw it. No. Yeah. But, yeah, he. so it was, it was just a television set. And I watched it and I said, oh, there's something not quite right yeah. about that. Yeah. And then I met him later. He goes, oh, no, I wasn't allowed to live there. And, wow. you, and that's what it was because <laughs> yeah. you couldn't get this sense that you could see the... Didn't feel lived in. Yeah, and that was always the thing. That sort of thing I loved about the Gourmet Farmer and I loved about uh, River Cottage was that you, you you saw the washing behind, you know, like you saw the, yeah. the lived in Oh, yeah, I got a lot of trouble for that. You know. <laughs> Sadie's like, why did, why did you leave the washing out? Like, Authenticity. You yeah. saw the lived inside of it. Can't milk the cow and get so. the washing. Anyway. All right, mate, you ready? All right, let's jump in. Tastes of the Midwest does return. And as always, we've got the co-pilot with us, Gilly. Well, the bus driver, really. How are you doing, Gilly? Oh, hi, mate. I'm well. A bus driver. Do you know what? I've always actually wanted to be a bus driver, so I'm going really? to ta- I'm gonna take that one. Yeah. yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I, but I'm old enough that it was back in the day when, you know, the conductor came around and gave you the tickets and there were little coin pockets and that sort of stuff. So I'm, perhaps, you know. <laughs> giving I'm too sure, much away. I'm giving too much away there. <laughs> but um, fantastic to be back in the studio with you today. No, good to have you with us. And uh, you have brought along with you uh, a very special guest. I have. And I think, I know I've been kind of co-piloted on a couple of our producer stories, but I think this is, I'm going to say for the taste of the Midwest, our biggest special guest ever, do you think? Ooh, you might upset a few people. Possibly. Oh, I might upset a few people there. Okay. All right. So this is our first um, with a TV background right, guest, yep. okay? So then I'm not going to upset anyone mm-hmm. on, on that one there. So I would like to introduce you to Mr. Matthew Evans. And for everyone listening today, I've said this and I just asked Matthew a question about it at the moment, but probably if you don't know who Matthew Evans is and I say SBS Gourmet Farmer, people go, oh, yeah, mm. I know who you mean. So, Matthew, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Gilly. So, um, Todd, do you want to know why Matthew's with us in the studio today? Well, absolutely. Uh, he's obviously been travelling a bit and uh, he's found himself here in the Midwest in Geraldton. He I'm has. I'm lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that explains the hair. Yeah. yeah. Travel around for a while. Oh, it's the wind, mate. The wind? It's the wind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who oh, knew? Gosh, yeah, yesterday. Well, it was a pretty funny thing because in preparing for Matthew's visit here, I sent Matthew a picture and said, is it okay if I use this picture of you? And he goes, yeah, but my hair's a bit kind of wilder, you know, kind of thing now. And when I was picking picking Matthew up from the um, airport this morning. I was like, okay, I'm looking for the wild hair. I'm looking for the wild hair. So, yeah, good job, wild hair. So the reason that Matthew is here is that we have been, well, actually, I have to be honest that um, Matthew came and was in the southwest last year and I, I don't know how I found out that you were down somewhere in the southwest, Margs, or something like that. And I actually sent a bit of a begging, groveling email mm-hmm. to him and said, Matthew, can you come to the Midwest? 
And so long story short, then Matthew was invited back to speak at the Regenerative Ag Conference, which just happened last week down in, um, in down in the southwest. And as part of that, DPIRD have sponsored a bit of a regional tour. So we were able to connect in with that and have Matthew come up to our region. So for him, it's first time in the Midwest. Yeah, my first time. And and, and actually, when you contacted me, it was like, I've been waiting for this. I've been Woo-hoo! waiting for someone to invite me to the Midwest. Well, because like I, I live in southern Tasmania. Right, it's yep. a long, long way from here, and so by the time I get over, you know, I have, I have been to Perth, lucky enough to get to Perth and yeah. the southwest a couple of times over the years, um, but but I've never had um, the the opportunity, and I've never, you know, I've always wondered what's north, like yeah. what's north, because yeah. that's the that's the big bit, that's you know, and I hear all these wonderful stories from up here mm. about what you grow, what you produce, what your fishes bring in, yep. um, but never managed to be here for myself, and so I'm very excited. So on the 14th of September, everyone, he's here. Flew yep. in this morning. I was very excited because, of course, um, for those listening, we had a bit of a blow yesterday. Mm. So I was had a moment of going, oh, my gosh, I really hope that plane's not going to be cancelled or anything yeah. like that. So, But the other thing is uh, that you also got out to Meriden as well, Matthew. You went out to kind of the Wheatbelt area as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bit of a storm on the way back from Meriden to um, to Perth to then to then fly up this morning. But um, yeah, that was that was fantastic. So again, I'd been on the edge of the wheat belt in Katanning yes. before years yep. and years ago, but to actually be like sort of sort of I guess more in the middle of it down there was was really wonderful. And and to see what people are doing because I actually met this woman. She's going, you know, like where where are the the top four oat producers, you mm. know, oats. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, so we referred to it as the oat belt because yeah. she was a, you know, she, yep. you know, it's like we should think of this not just as wheat. We should think of all the other things that those that we grow in those regions because yep. because giving it one name, I guess that's great, but it's actually it's way more diverse than I expected it to be. Yes, and I think these regions, you know, people go, well, it's it's grain. We're going, we're growing grain there, but we need to break that down sometimes more and kind of go, well, you're growing food, but what are you actually growing, and what are the different things like oats and barley mm. and lupins and and chickpeas and all sorts of other things. So, you know, we're a pretty big uh, raw commodity producer in the state, and certainly as you've come up to the Midwest, you know, we have we are kind of the top of the grain growing region, if you like. Um, in in this area here, um, but we also have a great diversity of food. So, with that, Todd, we were able to tag on to Matthew's regional tour. And on Friday, uh, so tomorrow on the fifteenth September, we've got a couple of events. So we're kicking off with a breakfast at the new NAC NRM building, and we've got Matthew Rodobree and um, Catherine Allen from uh, NAC who are just going to share some thoughts about the Regen Ag Conference uh, that happened last week because that's, that's a, I suppose, a growing um, interest space of, you know, not only what food we produce but how we produce our food mm. and then what that means to the either the health of the animal, nutrient-dense food, and then its relationship to our own health. Uh, then we're actually um, got a little bit of a break and we're jumping, all jumping in the car and heading out to Yanjet Farm at Kojirina. <laughs> and uh, so we're, I've told everyone, bring your chair, bring your hat. I didn't actually say bring a fly net, but I might add that one as well. <laughs> and uh, boots on the ground and we're having a three-hour masterclass and we're going to you know, deep dive a little bit on some things there, particularly for some of our growers who are interested in agritourism and farm, Kate, and building a brand. Mm. And then we're just finishing up the day with a bit of a light supper. So, yeah, it's going to be a good day. Yeah. So that's kind of why Matthew's here. But I thought we might ask him a few questions. Are yeah, you, for sure. Okay, I, if I, I get underway, would yeah. you want to? What do you reckon? Well, yeah, let's get underway because I suppose, yeah, Gilly, off 
all the things that you were talking about, and of course, the reason why Matthew is here, um, of course, is um, you know one of the uh, big reasons why people know the TV show on SBS, Gourmet Farmer. Yep. It's about getting you know back to the ground level. It's about getting hands on. So yeah, Matthew, what I guess inspired that journey um, to I guess more, look more deeply and get more hands on in regards to mm. food and I guess how we produce it and how we consume it. Yeah, it, that's an interesting question. About 16, 17 years ago, I was living in Sydney and um, and I was eating, I, my job was to actually eat in restaurants. I was a restaurant critic, but I'm a, I'm a chef by trade, um, but I'd become a restaurant critic. So I was actually paid to go to these fancy restaurants. And um, But it's a surreal world. And a lot of the food you're eating in restaurants, I, I sort of realised wasn't as good as people were growing in backyard gardens. And I thought, mm. oh, I started to worry about where my produce came from. I started to wonder how far things had travelled. And I met these people who were growing amazing stuff. And I thought, well, could I grow that? Um, you know, uh, uh, having never really grown anything much, I, I had a little market, a, a little um, community garden spot, and um, and I managed to grow some moss and snails, and um, <laughs> uh, and and so I thought, well, but can I, if I had a little bit of a garden that wasn't overshadowed, um, and and would I be able to grow stuff? So so that led me down this journey of oh. Can I grow stuff? Ended up in southern Tasmania because I had a mate lived down there, and and um, uh, and ended up on a little farm, and, and went, oh my god, um, I now have to look after this land, mm. and 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 uh, I have the opportunity to try and feed myself um, uh, at least in part from that land, yeah. and 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 I think a lot of people have this, you know, um, city people have a, a dream to 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 get onto some land and grow some stuff, and I was lucky enough to be able to to put that into practice, mm. and um, and then we did the show to to be, uh, really to say. Well, what does it actually look like? Because I seriously had no clue what I was doing. Like a total Gumby, and I'm still a bit of a Gumby, but I, like, um, but but 95% of what we did worked. Yeah. Like I tried to grow some food, and 95% of the time, a total like you know greenhorn like me actually managed to succeed. And and eventually, pretty much the entire dinner plate every night came from within our little fence line. And I thought, that's magic, isn't it? I mean, I, mm. yeah, I shouldn't be. I mean, humans have yeah. grown food forever. <laughs> yeah. Humanity wouldn't exist if we hadn't worked out how to do some of that. But for, for, for me as an urban mm. kid, yeah, that was the revelation. So I guess what advice would you throw out there for people who are perhaps considering uh, going, you know, venturing on that same kind of journey? Because as you say, it's not always as easy as we'd like to be. There's, you know, some, some, somewhat of a, like the romantic notions attached to it, like, oh, getting out there into the country, growing our own food, living off the land. But yeah. it's not always what it's cracked up to be. Yeah, yeah. Look, the the I think do a little bit of research. Don't do too much because you'll always find a reason not to do something. Mm. And the only people who don't make mistakes, are, you know, don't make anything. So, so if you actually if you want to have a crack, have a crack. Um, you'll f- probably find as soon as you start doing something, but you, you're, you're a neighbour or a friend will say, "Oh, I tried growing tomatoes. Oh, I, mm. you know, I've got some herbs on my balcony, or you know, I've I've tried growing, you know, zucchini. You know, whatever you do, don't plant them now. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever the thing is, um, you know, because this is this is no mystery. This is not you know, this is not earth shattering. Um, there are people out there who, who've got all this knowledge. We like to think, you know, when I think of our local nursing home. There's there's more knowledge in the local nursing home mm. about how to grow food in my region than there is in in the state library, and and I imagine West Australia might be similar. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of this knowledge that's embedded in the community. We just have to tap into it. Yeah, yeah. And 
and there has been a lot of encouragement. You know, uh, I, know, I know Gilly's uh, been there as well, you know, having all these producers talk to one another uh, mm. about, yeah, growing and uh, producing different products because the yep. more that we talk, the more conversations we have, the better it is for everyone. I mean, the whole industry will grow and, and, and benefit everyone on a much larger scale. So, yeah, yep. those conversations are, are definitely happening. So, uh, again, we're chatting with uh, Matthew Evans, um, yeah, gourmet farmer, written numerous books as well. And so this this hands-on journey, um, uh, what have been your, your proudest moments? Ooh, I mean, yeah, good question. Looking, looking back <laughs> yeah, on it, like, like it could be something quite small, quite, something quite large. Oh. Was there a moment you're like, oh, my God, I did it? <laughs> Todd, that's a great question. Um, one of my proudest moments was one of the, the hardest, but I actually grew some wheat in southern oh. Tasmania. No one's ever grown wheat on really? our farm before, as wow. far as we know, yeah. since white people arrived in 200 years. And so I hand sowed, because we don't, our gardens, you know, not, you can't get machinery, we don't own a tractor. You know, yeah. we've got 70 acres, only an acre and a half is a garden. So I hand sowed four rows of wheat and then and then I had to hand weed and hand tend and then hand harvest and and and, and I did lose half of it to mice because mm. I, you know, I was biting it between my teeth. It's not quite dry enough. And then I went out the next day and the, the mouse, the mice had obviously watched me, you know, <laughs> saying, you're going to harvest tomorrow, get out, guys, get out. Um, but then we, we, then we milled that and we made bread out of it. And it was this moment of, that was a pretty hard thing to do, but it was actually mm. like going and, and you know if you added up your hours, it was about two hundred dollars a loaf. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but if you but but it was like okay, so what is possible? You know this this is possible, maybe not desirable, you know. But okay, what can we do? What you know, we can do so much more than we imagine on a small space or on any space. Um, and is it worth doing for me? Probably not. But you know, I have so much respect mm. for the people who do that job for me now, mm. and I think that's part of it is saying. Oh yeah, I'm really, really proud of doing that. But you know what? I buy a bag of flour and I don't waste any of it. Mm. You know, I'm yeah. so keen because yeah. I know every grain of, of you know wheat, how much effort goes into growing it, and and how important it is. You know, uh, and not to waste food. Yeah, mm. brilliant. Um, well, I suppose you've been in uh, WA for a little bit now. I mean, what have you? What's impressed you? I guess suppose which since you've been here. Oh, I think the diversity, you know, like you, 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 you end up in a place and you, you know, you look out the window and, you know, you might be, you know, down south that was green rolling hills and, you know, little bits of bush and, and, um, you know, you see some grapes and then you realise that there's someone producing cheese and there's mm. someone producing, you know, amazing vegetables and someone's got some free range pigs and there's someone, you know, there's all, you know, there's a brewery and there's all this sort of stuff going on. And then I ended up in, you know, in Meriden um, and, and I just see sort of, you know, grain fields as far mm. as the eye can see. And then you meet someone who's, who's you know, getting all this incredible, um, who's making granola from all the oats and who's, who's gathering, um, you know, goat meat from local producers. And, and, and she's setting up a, an entire shop mm. based on local produce because she suddenly went, oh, hang on. Who knew there was this much stuff hidden here? Yep. It's not necessarily. So I think that's the biggest thing is I'm going, oh, wow, we think of it. You know, areas as being, oh, that's just good for the you know, grapes or that's just good for wheat or that's just good for this. But everywhere where humans are, they're growing food, they're doing interesting stuff. Um, you get enough of them together and, you know, you've got a much more interesting dinner plate. You're putting, you know, that local food on the plate. You, you know, you, as soon as you start to do that, you start to support, you know, you don't only have a good dinner for you, you start to support your community, yeah. um, and, you know, and, that's, and, and, and you give people pride. You know, mm. in in what they're doing because they're already doing it. But it, but if you recognise them, it's like suddenly you know, put attaching a name to you know to 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 a good job or a job well done. It suddenly makes that person you know stand a bit taller, feel better about what they're doing, um, and and which lifts other people around them. Mm. Mm. 
I think that you've raised so many good points about what's happening here in the Midwest, wouldn't you agree, Todd, in terms of, you know, and even I know Todd and I joke about how much I've learned but also he's learned in terms of our producers in this region and I know sometimes when I'm out talking outside of the region people will go oh yeah you know I know the Midwest for its uh, rock lobster and crayfish and that and then I go and Mm. and and Mm. then tumble off all these things of of what people are doing and I think um, you know part of the success sometimes when we look at it say from the Alliance's point of view is connecting is a big part of our role and I know we've got um, two producers you know I just want to give a shout out to and that's uh, Chris Collier down at Irwin who grows beautiful mangoes and Tegan Darnell from Lickety Split. So she's an artist and icy pop maker. Mm. Now they're together, right? They've connected now. And so uh, Tegan creates this great Midwest mango made out of Chris's mangoes, you know? <laughs> yeah, so beautiful. like we're, we're within our region and I think those connections, you're right, people do suddenly go, oh, I don't have to go outside my region for some of the things or I will work with what I've got in my in my pantry, you know, and that's been, I think, sometimes along the way when we've done special events and things, we did the Ming and New Midwest Expo, uh, the Taste of the Midwest there, and my challenge to everyone, even to our Thermomix ladies, I said, fantastic to have you there, but everything that's going in the Thermomix needs to come from our region here, yep. you know, and as an example, they would never they were wanted to do a chocolate custard and I said, well, you've got to use uh, Bukhara's <laughs> goat's milk. And they went, well, we haven't done it before. And I said, awesome, let's have a go at it. And it turned out to be fantastic. So, you know, I think that is a really important part of growing a food bowl in a region and, um, and having those connections and people kind of going, what I'm doing is of value to my family, but also of value to my community and helping people feel more resilient about it. Mm. Um, so... What are some of the challenges of growing down in your region? Because I was talking to Matthew this morning when I picked him up and kind of said, you know, if we talk about our growing conditions up here in the Midwest, we're very different from the Southwest. We have certainly not the same amount of rainfall, but we actually have some countering things in that during our middle part of the year here, we actually have um, a great temperature Uh, quite a Mediterranean temperature and good sunlight and we have great soil up here. Mm. So I'm interested when you set up Fat Pig Farm, how did you go about, you know, working out what would grow? Did you just put everything in? Did you look to the conditions? You know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, the mangoes didn't take. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, interestingly enough, so as far as I understand it, the first commercial, uh, the first pineapple grown in Australia was grown in Tassie. Because oh, really? they have, yeah, because yeah. In, in in the eighteen hundreds, people wanted to show off by growing you know, tropical foods a long way from the equator. Yeah. Um. So they 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 were doing it in England, you know, which is colder than Tassie. Yeah. Uh, but you do it in greenhouses, and you know, you light little fires mm. and all this kind of stuff. Um. But what we did is we we went well. What kind of grows here easily? Um. What doesn't grow? So where we live, you cannot ripen a capsicum outside. You can't mm. ripen a, an eggplant outside. Tomatoes, we have to choose very specific varieties that ripen much earlier. Um, So sort of like Russian, those kind of areas of the world where they've developed things that will ripen quicker because our summer is so... Uh, the 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 the, yeah, the ripening or the, the summer season is mm. quite short. 
Um, and um, so we have to get things that can we get out of the ground quick. So we have greenhouses for you know eggplants and chilies and stuff like that and capsicums. Um, uh, and then and then I guess what we do is we we we've been planting stuff over the years and going well they worked really well they didn't uh, you know um it, it, we can we can grow zucchinis outside pumpkins some pumpkins but generally yep. the smaller ones yeah um, because you know they'll get smashed by the frost if mm. if they take too long to get to size um, but where we live we we joke about it but um, you know there's a time of year about now where mm-hmm. it's um uh, you, if you just ate, you ate what you grow unless you've got asparagus in the ground at the moment you're getting you know uh, turnips, turnips, <laughs> turnips, and ca- turnips. and kale. You know, <laughs> which is not quite. But you, you know, you, but what's really interesting about that is, and and it, that, it's not quite the way it is. But we then start to use all sorts of preserves and you know some of the dairy products or meat products that we produce because actually in our temperate climate, you know, traditionally those areas would have relied a lot more on animal. Um, mm. Foods over over those colder times, um, but it makes you uh, um, it makes you work harder to be a cook, and it gives you a really true understanding of season. So when when that you know that first pea hits the you know mm. your mouth, or yeah you know, that first snow pea or sugar snap or whatever, there's a, some of those early things. Then you're going, oh my god, we're suddenly in the change of season. We're we're you know it, then the cherries and you know the raspberries and all that that beautiful summer fruit. You know, um, so it's a it's a real celebration of each season. Mm. Um, and I think that's that. But but we've learnt from planting. Yep. And some things just you know rock melons really hard to grow. I plant them every year because yes. I love them. Yep. Um, but uh, I, I, it's not worth the effort except um, the fact that we eat from within our fence line. So if I don't plant them, I generally won't eat them. So I've got, well, exciting news for you then. See, because, Todd, I'm already thinking ahead. You know, I like to kind of, you know, think ahead that, yeah. Matthew, we have some of the best rock melons and watermelons grown oh. here on the Greenwich Flats. And they come in at about April when the Shoreleaf Festival is on. So I'm really thinking you'll have to have a return trip here <laughs> because uh, Carol from Coastal Plains, um, and they just grow beautiful rock melons. So, yeah, oh, and they grow very well in that, you know, in those beautiful um, river flats. So, quick question for you. Yeah. So, Todd, you know that um, Matthew's written a lot of books, mm. like. A lot of books and they're wide ranging, but I wanted just to drill down because I think we could probably chat to Matthew for, I don't know, hours and hours yeah, and hours. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I want to drill down on your soils book. You tell us a little bit about, you know, why you wrote that book and why you're so passionate and how other people can get passionate about the role of soils and yeah. its relationship to us. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's 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 uh, it's a hard one to answer it in a short in a short yeah. bit, but like soil. I wrote the book Soil called mm-hmm. Soil because that's how much imagination <laughs> like I, I had with the title. But I wanted it to be really obvious what it was about. But people said to me, "Oh, Matthew, soil like yeah, you're trying to make soil sexy. It's it's soils as sexy as colon cancer, mm-hmm. right?" I mean, that was that was the response from really? a journalist. Wow. Oh my god! And gosh. I'm like, "Oh, I'm up against it here. Yeah. I've just written sixty five thousand words on this." But what it is, it's a book that's trying to say, "Why should we care?" Well, why should we care? Because ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the calories that humans eat come from the fact we've got topsoil. So there's an old cliche um, that humans Humanity exists, exists only because we have six inches of topsoil and, and it occasionally rains, right? Yeah. Six inches of topsoil. I wish we had that. Yeah. <laughs> That's obviously yeah. written by an American or someone. Yeah. Um, in parts of 
you know, West Australia where I've been, they've got a yep. centimetre or two centimetres of topsoil. Yep. So that's the magic that does all the world's growing. Without it, we, we can't live indoors. We can't eat. Um, uh, um, we can't wear clothes. Essentially, you know, land life vanishes. But we're also losing soil at crazy rates. So mm-hmm. we lose up to a, a nine kilograms of topsoil for every meal that every human on Earth eats. For every oh. breakfast, for every lunch, for every dinner that every human on Earth eats, we lose a bucket worth, nine kilo, up to nine kilos of topsoil. Um, that, so that's that's being washed or blown away. So what's happened over time, farming, not because farmers are bad people, but because of historical mistakes and and um, uh, you know we've we've we, we've lost about forty percent of the land we once farmed. We've made it infertile, and so we now know these things because we have these you know scientists and computers who can work all this out and go, oh hang on. There's only one Earth. You know, they don't have topsoil yeah. on Mars. They don't have topsoil on the Moon. So we have to use what we've got. So that, I got really interested in can we can we grow food and and not lose topsoil? And there, for thousands of years, people have done that in mm. some places. In other places, they've lost topsoil. So I want to, I want Australia to to be able to um, uh, grow food and grow topsoil mm. because that's because that that you know. The, it, it's. I'm no maths genius, but if we're if we're losing, it's you know, generally some of our agricultural areas we're, we're losing topsoil thirty to forty times faster than nature makes it. Mm-hmm. So that's a that yeah. You know, I know that by definition is not sustainable, even though, you know, I can't do the the, the big number of maths, um, but it just can't be sustainable. So mm-hmm. so how do we feed an increasing population um, with decreasing topsoil? Well. The beautiful thing is good farmers know and, and ancient wisdom, you combine those things with science, we know how to build topsoil at crazy rates. Mm. In parts of Australia, it takes a 1,000 years to create one centimetre of topsoil, right? That's nature because nature does make topsoil. But um, but we, I, I've met farmers who can make an inch of topsoil in a couple of years. And that's just through different farming practices. Different and, farming practices. Yep. It's, it's looking at not at what... Yeah, we can get from soil, but you know. So what I do is on our farm, and we've grown um, top. We sort of doubled the amount of topsoil on on uh, most of the farms in our fifteen years, and we're not clever. We've just used other people's knowledge. Um, But what we do is go. Oh, so so I I think how do I use plants and animals to grow soil? Mm. Not how do I use soil to grow plants and animals? Because I can't have the plants and animals if I don't have, have the, the soil. soil. So yeah. I'm trying to reframe, I guess, how I think. And, and just have, for other people, you know, say, well, what's, what's the best outcome? Do we want to be farming this land in 500 years, mm. you know, 50 years? Um, yeah, we do. I reckon. Yeah, yep. you know, that's a great thing for our community. It's a great thing to feed the, you know, to feed other people who maybe not, you know, live in these food producing regions. How do we do that? What are some techniques? And the beautiful thing is, there are people with those techniques, the technologies, the wisdom, and they're now spreading that more broadly. And and we're learning from past mistakes as well at the same time. I, I look, I think it's great that it, you were so blunt in the title, actually. Yeah. You know, sort of thing, because I think people we I know it to me it always sounds like a bit of a cliche and we say oh you know people are far removed from you know their food production but even if you just take uh, and I think also then people feel that they are not empowered to actually do anything about it yeah and um, alongside of you know looking at those uh, figures in terms of you know your plate of food and how much topsoil it's in that same plate of food is how much water has been used to Mm, create that plate of food and so sometimes I think it is as easy the message that we want to get to people it is as easy as saying be more intentional about what you're putting on your plate of food and where that's coming from so choose local if you can Um, but also think around your waste because the less food that we actually waste means that we waste less topsoil and we waste less water and that's a very doable thing 
at the household level, you know, for all of us, mm -hmm. whether you happen to be on or in a growing region or not, is just to be intentional about it. And I think that, Todd, it's been so great, I feel, with the Taste of the Midwest podcast series is to introduce our local growers and brands to everyone in the region and then to see what's kind of, you know, happening from there, like those connections or like the new Midwest Fresh uh, Marketplace yeah. at Bluffs Point. You know, Prakash and his team, they're really trying very hard to give uh, an outlet and IGA do the same, an outlet for those local uh, options so that they don't just sail by in a truck, you know, down to Perth and then come back again, that we actually capture them here. So, well, look, I know time is always of the essence. <laughs> yes, We've probably gone a bit longer. I was longer. looking for a point to jump in and say, yeah, we've got to finish. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. But, Matthew, thanks so much for being here with Todd and I today. Mm. And, Todd, I'll hand over you to wrap up in the last All words. Right. So. Well, um, Matthew Evans, we've had him in the studio, which is great. Gourmet Farmers on SBS. So he's spoken a little bit about uh, one of his books, Soils. Go in, uh, online and check it out. Order one and uh, many others of his books. Get inspired. Um, uh, to uh, learn more about your local produce or how you can produce your own produce, I suppose. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much. We want to have you back to the Midwest to experience more of what we do have to offer. So, Todd, anytime. All right. Well, maybe next year at Shoreleave, then, Gilly, get yeah, on to that yeah. one. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's in my diary. All I'm right. going for it. So, Matthew, if people want to follow you, find out more about you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, look up Fat Pig Farm. All right. If you just Google that, you'll find a, a website and some social media. I'm glad you followed up uh, Fat with something else. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Matthew, enjoy the rest of your uh, stay here in the Midwest, Western Australia, and look forward to having you back soon.